Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, entitled Rhinoceros. We've talked a lot about this title, Rhinoceros, uh, and kind of how it relates to literature and and who might be kind of the, the central character in that story. As I'm watching this episode, I can't really tell. Yeah. Did I, you did you have any luck with that yourself? No. I and mean, it may not even be where they're going with it, right? I mean, I, I thought the best fit was Carl. Okay. Because he's a man who's just, you know, living his, his average uh, hometown, drunken lawyer, uh, VFW yeah. type of American Legion existence, and he's plucked out of it into this bizarre situation where... Everyone is t- either tools of the state or jackbooted thugs. Uh huh. Um, and I didn't expect that. I didn't expect uh, uh, Carl to be the kind of rhinoceros. I guess the other a popular choice would be Ed. Yeah, although it's tough for me to say that Ed looks around him and sees a bunch of insanity. At this point, like he's part of it, right? But it's. I thought this. Sh- I thought this episode did a really good job of capturing that duality of being part of something crazy, but not really. Like you're. Okay. I mean, there's enough truth of what Peggy and Ed saying that they're just accessories or or uh, add-ons or I forget exactly what the word she used. And and Ed multiple times says this is this is a crazy situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Peggy created for herself, but even her, she's like, you know, you act like these decisions are made in a vacuum. Like you hit somebody and everyone knows what they would do in that situation. Is that the (laughs) thing that they would really do if you're scared and it's nighttime and you got this person bleeding in your car? Yeah. Um, You know, again, pretty extreme to, 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 to let a person die in your garage. I would say that's uh-huh. outside the bounds of human behavior, and it's kind of self-serving for Peggy to be saying that. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm not I like hit the way a she with my car. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the way she describes it. You know, they're like decisions you make in a dream. Yeah, almost as if you're not living in a reality that you understand, <laughs> and the decisions you made, you almost feel like you shouldn't be held accountable for because they're not real decisions. Yeah, but. At some point, you have to be. I mean, yeah, that's, no, that's just how reality works. But yeah, yeah, no, but I, I sympathize with her a little bit in that scenario, right? And yeah. especially when she's got this idea of a different life right. um, that she kind of describes, and and how she's living in this museum of the past. Right. Uh, you you kind of get that maybe her choices are in a haze most of the time, mm-hmm. as well. And she just doesn't want anything to jeopardize the path that she wants to be put on. And like she didn't ask for this guy to to commit a triple homicide and wander out in front of the the road, uh-huh. um, but I, I don't know. But she sees that kind of as an opportunity. And also, I feel like that there's maybe something to Hank is saying here about her mental health, and you know mm-hmm. what would she do in in this era to get help with that? Yeah, I, that's so a good question. I if I have been really hating Peggy for the majority of the season i felt a sliver of just a sliver now just a sliver i'm not gonna get crazy but a sliver uh-huh. of sympathy from you know the way the way she was talking and the way she presented herself sure sure and but, I, I but think the, that's meant but what a little sliver was being worked awfully hard by her insistence on keeping to her life spring uh, <laughs> meeting and you know, I love openly talking about her plans of fleeing to california with the sheriff sitting right there yeah and that's 
so that's the thing. The entire time she's trying to really kind of just deny and sure and yeah. obfuscate the kind of trouble she's in. And I yeah. think Hank does a hell of a job. Hank really came around for me in this episode hmm. um, as a guy, as I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe him. Being kind of every bit the man that Lou is mm-hmm. uh, and that we've seen Lou be in sure. the past. And, and in this episode, both with the way he deals with Peggy and the way he stands his ground outside the house, uh, those two scenes did a lot for Hank, but he's he's trying to get her to realize like you're in a lot of trouble here, and there's nothing you can do to take care of this. Yeah, you're in this situation, which is kind of what Lou, Lou tried to impress with them a few weeks ago that you think you're okay, but yeah. you're not. And he's like, you know, we're going to come down here, and all these you know gifts of the Magi that happened last week, uh, you know, maybe she could have put up a day or two's worth of delay to make them get a search warrant, but she sold the car to Sonny, who's yeah. more than happy to help the local constabulatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coming and, back and, to bite her. And, and yeah, with, with their hammers of justice and whatnot. I, it, I don't know. It's a really, it was a really strong episode from, Absolutely. from top to bottom. And a lot of things happen of consequence. A lot of, I think characters came sharper into focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that, I'm completely off the theory that Hank is dirty after this episode. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I wasn't really seriously entertaining it before, but now it's like he stood up to both the Mike Milligans of the world and the Gerhards of the world. And Mm -hmm. I do think he's a step or two less competent than Lou from a just tactics and and Hmm. being on the ball. Yeah, maybe so. Because, I mean, he turns his back on, like, even if he thinks Peggy's coming to the door... Mm-hmm. He turns his back on the obvious threat um, and then gets butted in the face by Hanzi. I don't know that Lou makes that mistake. Yeah, maybe not. Um, I also don't think Lou, I mean... I but he has every bit of... He's got the... the gumption? I don't, I don't know the, what the, word to the, use. The spine and, yeah. and the, the courage, uh, he's certainly the equal to. And I, I honestly thought he was dead in that scene. I did too. I mean, like. I didn't know who was coming in that back door, but I thought it was Peggy coming outside just like he did. And in that moment, I thought he was done. I, I feel like. And he had made peace with that. I mean, maybe I felt like this in other, in, in the last season's Fargo too, but I feel a lot more terrified for the main characters that I do not know for a fact survive into season sure. one. Backwards yeah. in season one. Lou, Molly, I think Lou, they're safe. <laughs> Lou and Molly are safe, but like uh, Hank, man, every time he goes up against these guys, I'm thinking dead a bear could die like i yeah. i feel like bear is my favorite of the gerhards uh yeah so it's tossing between bear and floyd at this point for me but yeah, that's true. sure um and 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 these you know people are putting real real danger simone uh yeah is putting I, I like simone a lot too she's putting real danger in this episode even ed it's 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 tough not to pity a guy who hears about the myth of Sisyphus mm-hmm. and thinks it's an inspirational message of, pre- of, of he gets of up every day. He keeps that nose to the grindstone. <laughs> yep. And you kind of, I feel like I finally understand his motivation that he's going to do whatever it takes to protect his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he doesn't understand a lot of you know the the more complicated things going on with Peggy and her relationship and all that stuff. To to him, this is all his homestead that he has to protect from from any threats. And you know, once his wife makes the crazy decision to bring this body home, everything else is just he's trying to deal with these threats as they come up. And if he keeps, but, but he also feels like 
the guy who hears a noise outside, grabs his gun, goes out in his underwear, and hopes that it's nothing he can't handle, right? Like, yeah. Like, he doesn't feel like of, a guy who's well-equipped to deal with the situation, he, he, he even does, though he he's going to. I was going to say, there does seem to be a little whistling past the graveyard to his character, but mm, yeah. I will say he has he has been formidable when he's had to be. Sure. And I, I feel like that we're being set up for a Hanzi versus Ed cat and mouse game. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, who would have bet on Lester Nygaard versus uh, Malvo, uh, yeah, Lauren Malvo last year, mm-hmm. and who got the best of that 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 that, that trade off? So I, I feel like that I if if I had to take the bet, my money's probably still on Hanzi, uh-huh. but it's scared money. Okay, it's money that doesn't feel good that it's laying there. Uh huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. The stuff with Ed this time around, where he's you know, he he kind of lays it all out in the police station. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, what the, the ending with Hansi going after him, he's clearly going back to his house to, to get Peggy, potentially leave whatever. I don't know. I think and, Peggy's long gone. I think Peggy's, yeah, headed, yeah. I think Peggy's headed to the Sioux Falls. So you think she's just abandoned Ed? I think so. Yeah. After all this. Okay. I think, yeah, she's, she's potentially, I, I don't know if she would even think it's abandonment. Um, I would think she was keeping her appointment. She's got a okay. uh, a life spring thing, and an opportunity has presented yeah. itself. And so if sure. Ed tracked her down, she'd just be like, "Well, Ed, I, I, if I paid for this, I had an appointment. Says I went to a lot of trouble. You know, we <laughs> missed out on a butcher shop for this. It's like it's a, it's it's. I mean, this is just one massive sunk cost fallacy by yeah, yeah. almost all involved. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. Like you can cut your losses at any time if you want. Yeah, they can't do it. None of they, them can. The Gearhart's can't. The Kansas City Mafia can't. Um, I kept on thinking about those three dudes that are the, I don't know what we thought of, like the the Mafia lieutenants or whatnot that, that uh, Floyd called upon at the beginning of this war. Yeah. And they were kind of reticent to join and pledge their troops, but they said... And I'm paraphrasing, if those mooks from Kansas City come at you firing, we'll cut their goddamn nose off. Yeah. It seems like perhaps Mike Milligan has escalated this to the point where now the Gearhearts are going to get local reinforcements. And it's going, I think so. his situation is going to be a bit more precarious. And by the way, yeah. why did what did you think of Mike's tactical plan here to go after the old man, the old woman, and Simone? So it's interesting, right? Rather um, than go and hit them, you know, they, you've got the you've got the Gerhardt army divided in the two fronts. You could unite, unitedly smash one of them, or you can cut its head off with Floyd. But does I, I don't feel like anyone besides Floyd and maybe Simone really believes that she's in charge of the gang. Dodd doesn't believe it. Bear wants to believe it, but I don't. You know, the Kansas City always talked about the fact that yeah, I mean, well, it's okay, a it's a she's free, abroad. It, it's a free move here, right? Like. So so there's one of two things that could be happening here. They could either be just making this play because it's free. Like, they know they're not going to lose anybody in this battle. Let's take one of them out. Yeah, it'll piss them off, but whatever. Option two is they, the, the A or B choice here is they also have a plan. Um, they're doing this specifically to piss off these guys, so they'll mm-hmm. come after them, and then they'll be on their home turf or whatever, uh, kind of like we saw with Peggy this episode. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like... Mike is a smart enough guy to where this might be part of his plan. Piss yeah. off Bear and Dodd. Uh, 
make them angry and have them come after him? I don't know. I felt like to me it felt foolish because you had the shirt. You could have hit one of those squads with your full might and wiped it off the map. So you could have just taken Bear and his crew or Todd and his crew and they're gone. And then you've got just Floyd, Simone, and Survivor, Bear, Todd's crew to deal with. And that's that's a that's a losing strategy. Yeah, Whereas you're take... hoping to piss them off and make them act irrational, something that we already know they are. Like at this stage in the game, they're all pissed off. They're at each other's throat. I thought that was a great scene with, with Bear and Dodd where, you know, yeah, I didn't Dodd really was going to beat him with the bell. No? I didn't get why Bear would allow this to happen. Like, what the fuck? Him get beat by yeah. the, the belt? Why? Because Hanzi's standing there with a shotgun. What? Hanzi's really going to shoot the son I, yes. of Floyd? Yes, I do believe that's so. That's insane. That is insane. That I, destroys the family. I mean, that's not... I, I get it, which is why like Floyd how was so hysterical coming out there to saying, you guys can't do this. You're going to break the family apart. But, do, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, what did you think? Did you think Hanzi was bluffing? No, I thought it was nonsensical. I thought there's this whole this whole scene is silly. Well, see, because I don't I buy that Bear would allow this to allow him to be whipped like that. I don't buy that Hansi would actually shoot Bear. Huh. Like none of this stuff could actually happen in my head. So, so like I, I wasn't I, getting it. I guess I I totally bought it for this reason. I think that this is the scene that's blowing the lid off of the family dynamic and kind of laying it all to Bear that Dot is the one that is wearing yeah, the daddy then, belt and that he's going to enforce this rule of and like kind of the bear accepted it because he's like okay well you got the gun on me and yeah you're the boss you're the boss now so i guess i'm gonna let you beat me with this belt but then it's undermined by floyd coming out and diffusing the whole situation and then later on ordering these kids to do the things that they're about to do like the, the, yeah they would have done anyway I don't know. It's weird because Floyd's in this 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 odd position where, <laughs> it, to make an analogy to a lesser show, she feels like whoever the cop leader of Slaptown was in the hospital, where okay, she's she's and by title in charge, yeah, yeah, but they're the the people that she's over are sullen and getting restless and fed up for different reasons. Like Bear's probably getting fed up with the fact that she's letting Dodd run roughshod over everything mm -hmm. you know like he probably did not care for dodd's behavior in their negotiations that kind of deliberately tor torpedoed the whole deal yeah. so he's getting tired and like you know what are you doing ma what are you what are you going to do and you know dodd's getting tired because he just wants to be the boss he's tired of this charade mm -hmm. I, I thought the scene was great for kind of showing those power lines and the fractures and 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 you know kind of making explicit things i thought was going on in the background yeah, I mean, I so I it does serve its purpose in that regard. I just don't, I, I didn't feel like it made a whole lot of sense uh, in the moment. But let, let's talk a little bit about Dodd, because like a lot of his characters revealed in this episode. Did you catch the fact that Dodd has an older brother that apparently died yeah. in a war? Yeah. Have we ever heard of this guy before? No, not. To I my didn't knowledge. think so. And when I first when I first heard this on my first watch, I thought that he was talking about like one of his. Uh, father's brothers, hmm, yeah. or you know, maybe even the guy that was you know, that, that he gunned or with the help of Dodd gunned down. Mm -hmm. But it became clear that he was talking about an older brother. That Dodd is not really the one that's quote unquote meant to lead this family. I thought that was really interesting, and maybe why Dodd's got this huge chip on his shoulder. Yeah, could he's be. afraid to be passed on. Maybe he thinks deep down he's not got it, 
and he's got like you clearly this older brother was a like a larger than life character. Yeah. And yeah. maybe he it was the Michael Corleone. He literally Michael Corleone went off the war. He just, just he just managed to come back. Uh-huh. This guy didn't, and that shadow's been hanging over the family. I thought that was a super interesting thing to inject, and something that could easily be missed if you just watched this the one time and weren't paying attention. Sure, yeah. Uh, it also I think provides a little bit of di- um, it, it changes the context of the flashback scene we saw a couple episodes ago, mm. where with Dodd and his father oh, yeah. in the movie theater. Because maybe, uh, maybe uh, yeah, so, yeah. Like, you, you think about, like, when does that take place? Uh-huh. Obviously, it's before his brother's dead, because un- unless his brother is way older, like, yeah, did his, like maybe 15, 10, 15 years older. His brother served in Korea? I don't know. Because don't know. you're right. Why, unless he was off the war, why wouldn't he be there? And yeah. he, he certainly was, I mean, Dodd's not old enough to be that age during the, Viet, the height of, yeah, maybe he is. So he's, what do you think? He's like, maybe. 12 years old in that scene at the most at the most yeah then like the height of vietnam war is like in the late 60s to very early 70s yeah i haven't quite he's not old enough. He's all not, of he's it not together. old enough like this dodd's at least 40 he's got simone who's at least 18 yeah yeah probably early 20s mm-hmm. yeah so i i'm i'm, I'm not getting it quite the, how that all what what is it about l ron that he wasn't there yeah I, i'm not sure but Maybe he was already. It, it dead. does make you ask questions about that. <laughs> maybe he died. Maybe because there was clearly some strife in the Gerhardt yeah, family, and they were being taken over. Maybe he died in that early phase of the war. That's what I'm wondering. Like, is this is this like a the aftermath of that where Otto's taking his son Dot out to yeah. now start training him because yeah. he's going to have to be the man. He was too early, but he had to. He's forced into it. Yeah. Yeah. But potentially. Um. But but we see so much of his character uh, in this episode. Like you just look at, you know, him rolling up to the Blomquist house here, and, and dealing with Hank, and then they go inside, and he reveals himself to be just as dumb and just as cowardly as Hank thought him to be. Uh, he's he's going through this basement. He gets you know taken out by Peggy, which is pretty dumb mm-hmm. of him. Uh, but more importantly, he's shooting his own guys. He's telling them to go first because he's kind of scared of the situation yeah you can see that he's not everything that he that we've thought he was yeah up until now yeah that's a good which point. is interesting um i thought was, he should have sent uh he should have sent hansi down there into the black echo <laughs> sure of yeah. the of the the maze-like tunnels of, ma- of women's magazines uh-huh. um i thought that was really interesting too how that peggy was able to beat her them on her own turf yeah and convince decisively too yeah it it all kind of made sense. Yeah. Uh, do you, what, I mean, so I feel like I wasn't sure if the first guy got taken out, kind of like in the way the game of Thrones, the wall defends itself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, like he bumped to, into something. You, you're and... try, yeah. Like he bumped into it and just this whole thing shifted and crushed him. Or yeah. whether she hit him with like a frying pan or something. I, I felt like it was the, the, the well, former there's a, case. There's a sink next to him that I think, Dropped on his head, or she bashed him with it. Oh, one see, of the I two. thought that looked like a mud sink, something that would just be on the wall that he fell onto and it shattered. Oh, okay. Like he tripped and yeah, knocked it off the wall. Maybe, but maybe she was with a baseball. I don't. I don't Any know. of those are possible. Yeah, but but yeah, I, it tickled me the idea that like the the basement defends itself. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like semi sentient thing that will just grind you to dust I mean, if you don't kinda... know. It's got to be unstable down oh, God, there yes. for sure. Oh yeah, stacks of magazines. Yeah, water damage. Who knows? Sure. 
things can come down at any moment. But I thought it was cool, you know, she's got the home field advantage here and uses it. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about Mike. Uh, what did you think of him quoting the almost entire poem of the Jabberwocky? Man. I thought it was, this is the first time the Fargo went a step too far for me. Like, I okay. don't believe anyone, in any, no matter how smart, how pop culture educated they are, goes from some... I mean, because here's, here's what I think happened. She says, kiss my grits, which is an Alice reference, yeah. which made him free associate to this poem Alice from Wonderland. Uh, yep. Through the Looking Glass. And I, I thought it was a little too cute. A little, a lot too cute, actually. Okay. But I look around and I feel like I'm uh, taking crazy pills because everybody else was fapping to it. I, I didn't get it. Yeah, so I didn't know it was Lewis Carroll to begin with. I have not read Alice in Wonderland uh, or Through the Looking Glass. Is it like a sequel? Is that? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. I haven't read either of those. Um, I saw the movie when I was See, young. I had like, um, growing up, my, my dad and mom had just shit tons of books everywhere. Okay. Some of them are appropriate for my consumption, some of them weren't. But one of my favorite ones was this. They had an illustrated version of both Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. And it had this creepy-ass woodcut of the Jabberwocky with like a like a fly for a head with a snake neck. And he's got these big bat wings and huge claws. And there's this huh. little tiny boy with this sword as big as he is trying to... F- and it just creeped the shit out of me. And I remember reading, you know, because it's famous for being kind of like... Uh, uh, it's not exactly nonsense, yeah. But it's like uh, Carol was trying to write an old English version, like a make-believe ver- old English version, mm-hmm. like something a couple of centuries younger than Beowulf, maybe. Um, and 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 I was pretty, I, I was pretty familiar with it. So maybe this is what you know when we were like reading Mad Men reviews and like people when they would recognize a quote. Or when they're making illusions and they kind of roll their eyes, maybe familiarity with something breeds contempt. Maybe so because I didn't feel that. Yeah. I I felt like it added to the overall confusion of the scenario. And the it, fact that he quoted the whole thing yeah. with the snicker snack, I I it felt good to I, me. I do love how they're cutting between all these scenes here while he's doing it. You know, they're they've got this tri frame. Yeah, going. no, the visual is fine. It's just him yeah. literally the the idea that he would be reciting this poem in the midst of starting to go to war was borderline like a little Lord of the Ringsy for me. Now okay. for wrath, now yeah, for yeah. ruin in the red dog. Like was he Theoden riding off the war, <laughs> except for he's quoting a children's poem. What the fuck? Yeah. See, I would, I, I read this poem. I, I could barely read this poem. Uh-huh. I could barely even read it because my mind is trying to contextualize the words that I'm reading. And it's, it is. And they're funny. nonsense. It's they're slippery. complete. Complete yeah. nonsense. You get it's like one of those things where you, you read those things where everything's misspelled and the letters are transposed. Yeah, but your yeah. brain can make your brain can read the Jabberwocky. This is the opposite. Yep. Understand what it's meaning, but if you try to focus on individual words, it's it's like trying to nail Jello to a tree. Yeah, that's how I felt reading it. I'm like, I just, I don't get it, but something somebody is killing something, and uh, that's about all I need. Yeah. Uh, and so it aptly describes what he's about to go do as well, right? He's about to go slay this the the head of this beast here. So the part that they left off is when he brings the head of the Jabberwocky back, and his mother like praises him. Are we? Is he going to get kudos from his taskmasters from uh, Kansas City for cutting the head off of the Jabberwocky here? Maybe. I uh, to me it just felt like a dud. Like I don't think anyone okay. in Kansas City believes that Floyd's in charge. The old man 
is not a vegetable, but he's an invalid and he can't do anything. And Simone is Simone. Honestly, if she gets killed in the crossfire, he's probably shot himself in the foot, if not the head. Because she's given him valuable intelligence. And now, like, yeah. if she survives, which is a big if, and I'm I'm not certain that her or Floyd will survive this. Yeah. But I don't know why both would die. Her, 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 her grandmother just gave her this inspiring speech about, uh, you know, what it means to be a woman in this world and how the, you know, this is their time and you should be with us. I think I got the impression of Floyd knew that she was betraying him because that houseworker that can't, caught Simone on the phone yeah. went and told Floyd what was going on. Could be. Um, but she was trying to make a play and if like her grandma dies in this attack where Mike backstabbed her, I think she goes flips full on to being true blue to the family. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I thought it was nice how they kind of spun this, you know, how horrible Dodd's being to her into her just straight up betraying him and wanting him dead and that causing You can understand problems. it. The whole, the yeah. whore's life speech. Oh, well, whore's life is, it's a new Pixar movie. They just announced it. <laughs> it takes place over the course of 10 years. Yep. He's got five good ones, five bad. Uh-huh. No, I thought that was a... Uh, horrifying speech sure. he's giving to his daughter i get what he's trying to say to her that's the and thing, she probably like, does too but the way he's saying it is impossibly yeah it's impossible to take well yeah no there are some that that's one of the, the things in in life is that very rarely is a uh, ideology completely wrong okay or, or someone is just completely wrong about everything that they're saying like there is an element uh-huh. of truth to a certain type of lifestyle and a certain uh, amount of carrying yourself with no respect and the things that, 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 that happened because of that. But still, the fact that you would couch this in this terms to your daughter, who, yeah. <laughs> you know, might be many things, but she's certainly not literally a whore. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, uh, I, I want to make a girl power point that's weakened by the fact that she literally is been completely bamboozled. Um, that's probably a poor choice of words. Um, she's been completely taken under sway by the power of Mike Milligan. And he implies that there was some kind of payment. I I don't know. I don't know. I think he's, he's he says something liter- about technically before he goes no, off on another. Thing. Yeah, like she is uh she fucked him in large part to uh well, I mean not in large part, but she got drugs off of him. Sure, definitely we know that. And she's you know, she's she's receiving some kind of compensation in the form of uh inflated sense of her importance and striking a blow against her father. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, she is exchanging sex for favors and goods. And Mike is then okay. now like essentially flipped it and, and become the, the abusive pimp in this relationship. I don't know. Like I said, it's like weird yeah. because Dodd's not entirely wrong with the things he's saying and how she's going to calamity, but he's such an asshole. And also would, would he, the way he wants instead, it's like, you know, you're you're you get this false dichotomy between being the quote unquote good girl who stays silent and always has a smile on her face or she gets the back of his hand and a whore. There yeah. is other options for a woman sure. to be besides the obedient slave and the fucking whore. And that, And that's what Floyd is trying to explain to yes. her in much better terms than her father. Now, I also think it was interesting because I always thought that Floyd was sincere in this whole, as uh, soon as I get us through this crisis, I turn my thoughts to the grave. She's full of shit. No, she wants to run this thing. 
Why did what makes who you runs say that? the world? Girls. She's called Beyonce yeah. on this stuff. All because right. that speech she gave was not someone. It's like I'm just trying to get my family through this crisis. Uh, yeah, I'm you're go, right. I'm going to bake my pretzel bread and knit shawls until I die. No, she wants she wants to run this family to the best of her ability until she, she can no longer do it anymore. That was my interpretation anyway. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, the other thing to consider is, you know, we're saying, okay, by technical definition, Simone's being a whore here. What about Mike? Mike's doing the exact same thing. Mike's trading this sex for information about this family. Hmm. I think by definition, he's also a whore. And I wonder if he would realize that in the moment. Hmm. I mean, yeah, if you want to get technical. Well, that's where does, he took it, yeah. inviting it, yeah. So turn the mirror on yourself, buddy. You yeah. Know? Like I said, it seems like he's more of a, a pimp, though. He's using the sex okay. as a means to, to – the sex and drugs as a means to exert power over her um, and, and make her obedient to him. And in much the same way that Dodd's come and coming for, with the physical abuse. So it's yeah. not exactly the same, I don't think. I thought you were sure. going to go with his relationship to Kansas City, maybe. Okay. but Well, it's hard to tell. Like, So obviously, we haven't seen anybody else from Kansas City at this point. Yeah, oh, I mean... Spe- speaking of he's that acting. Scene. I guess he's acting in He's he's acting in command with Joe Bulow gone. Mm-hmm. What is... Yeah. We haven't seen what Kansas City thinks about this whole sure. debacle. And if they're going to send more guys. Is, is he trying to, to like distinguish himself before the new boss comes? Yeah, I don't know. Is he acting on his own? Is he acting at their orders? Like, right, right. Yeah, what's going on here? We we don't know yet. Uh, I I really did love how in that scene where Simone calls him, the the remaining kitchen brother picks up the phone. Yeah, like answers the phone without saying anything. Uh huh. And walks it over to him. And it's got yeah. I just love the details, like the long ass cord that you can move uh-huh. around everywhere, and they're staying in this renovated hotel. The hotel's being renovated. It's it's very cool. And when she says. The line that she gives as, you know, the final message to Dodd, I thought was going to be something profound and something... Yeah, kiss my grits. <laughs> something, like, it's a big fuck you. And I guess kiss my grits is, but it's so ridiculous. It'd that, be like that someone, That's just the note of Fargo be, that be, they hit perfectly. It'd be like a daughter who grew up in the late eight, 80s, early 90s saying, like, eat, eat my, my shorts. shorts. Yep. That's exactly where I was going to go for with Exactly. Bartman. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Where's it's laughable? The beef? Like it means something to them clearly, but it's laughable in the face of reality. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Like, <laughs> yeah, no one. I don't know. Maybe people do. Maybe people do. Yeah, but uh, uh, I thought she was gonna go for like you know how's this for a whore? This is what sure. you get for slapping your daughter. Or something like that. Only more clever. Something to know uh-huh. Hollywood, right? Kiss my grits. Kiss my grits. Uh, so I have questions about the timeline in this episode and okay. about some of the motivations and how the logistics. So Hank gets accosted on the porch. Mm-hmm. He gets knocked out. Dodd goes downstairs, gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. A guy gets killed. Two guys get killed, presumably. I don't know, I don't know if Sink Head got knocked out or killed. And even whatever. gunshot might have just been, you know, is that a, was that a confirmed kill? Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, he he might have stumbled upstairs. Two and dudes out. that are wounded, and he's been freshly tased or stun gunned. Yeah, and Peggy's presumably gone. So surely Hank wakes up, and the, what does he do? He seems to go to his car, get a call on the radio that he answers. Yeah, 
I, th- I think his car is still out in the driveway. It is. So and I feel he's like still the, on the scene. The Kansas City or not the Kansas City. The 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 um, gun the darks. Gerhards. The gun darks. <laughs> Gerhards. The gun darks. Cars are gone, and presumably Ed's truck is gone. They don't show us this, but we we do see that they're not that those cars that were parked in front of his car are no longer there. So I think it's yeah. safe. We're we're okay. supposed to believe that. You know, there is a scene that we don't see of him and Lou plotting out the strategy to pick him up on the the access road behind the prison. Yeah, there are two scenes we don't see. The one where everybody gets up after being knocked out and leaves. And the one where they would have to plan this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like they're going to walk out to the middle of fucking nowhere. No. And Lou's just going to happen to drive by. No. And it makes sense. Lou's by a radio. Hank's by a radio. They got the time to do it. I mean, that I, that I seems, suppose so. Yeah, I would much rather I would much rather than do this than have Hank get up, go inside, go inside the house. Well, I guess Peggy's gone. Uh, the, no dot. You know, it's like I, they could have made explicit some of this stuff. But I kind of like the fact that they let us connect the dots because the dots are there to be connected. There's nothing okay. that's implausible or breaks my sense of time or place on, on this stuff. All right. I'm, I'm with you. I'd. I don't think it matters too much. I was just a little confused. It, this, how is, this, they... is a, this is a little bit of an interesting first watch because there's a couple things I think that people could be like, because I know my first thought was, well, where the fuck did Hank come from? Mm-hmm. But on subsequent watches, everything made a lot, you know, made perfect sense. Yeah. You want to talk about Nick Offerman? Carl Weathers? I know that he did, gave an interview where he said that he gives his finest performance of his career in in this season, and I'm not sure if it was this episode <laughs> or if he can have a more epic episode. Uh-huh. And I like the way, because they could have gone at where he's just more of a, you know, a badass with a gun. Like, you find out that he's actually, and maybe he'll still draw down on one of these guys and, and, and get the better of it. But I like the way he got out of everything with just using his mouth. And yes. reading like like how he would have dealt with Dodd probably would have been different than he's dealing with with Bear, mm-hmm. uh, the father, and he could kind of sense this weakness in Bear and and like look this kid's seventeen, yeah he could be done with all of this by the time he's twenty two, you guys go and do all this shit then he's he's never getting away he's gonna be a wanted man for the rest of his life and and rot away in prison if we ever catch him, I yeah. felt like that was. Once that was on the table, it's like, look, the worst we can get him for is attempted murder. If I can't, you know, work a better deal, he makes five, a good argument. Yeah, seventeen, five years done at twenty-two. That is a argument that bear, especially when you think of like the fact that his his boy, you know, he he's thinking Dodd put him in that situation, and he shouldn't have been in that situation. And he, even though he called and left the message for his father saying he had a change of heart mm-hmm. halfway, so. I feel like the bear, it was inevitable. Once the argument was made, the bear was going to accept it. Yeah, and that's, so. Now, what does Dodd do? Like, what happens when Dodd finds out about this? I don't know. Well, they did a really good job setting up Bear as a character to yes. make me believe that he would see the light here. Yeah. Uh, and and they something that Fargo trades on all the time is this kind of battle of wills. And I know that there's a little bit of intelligence involved here, too, but Carl willing himself out there uh, in the face of extreme danger and an angry father with a gun right uh this is a battle of wills as well right like this is hank on the porch is uh the stuff with lou on the gerhardt estate a couple episodes ago is yeah like all that stuff is a battle of the wills and i really love how they handle those situations no he he reminds me a bear reminds me a lot of like weebay from the wire or uh you know uh 
the the Godfather, uh, Michael Vito yeah. Corleone. Oh, like, oh, the Godfather, Godfather. <laughs> yeah, no, he he wants something better for his. Like, I'm a ruthless killer and I'm a gangster and all this, but I want my sons to to have better and like you know Sonny's Sonny and Fredo's sure. Fredo, but Michael, you know, I feel like Bear, you know, w- with with the relationship he had with his his wife was seems a hell of a lot more enlightened than Dodd's. Yeah. Uh, with his wife, uh, he, he wanted a certain thing for Charlie and Dodd just stole it from him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I thought there was some interesting nuance of that talk about the daddy belt and all that. It's like, you know, you want to talk about what's right. You know, you might be the boss of this family. Mom might be the boss of this family, whatever. But I am the fucking I have to save what happens in my own flesh and blood. Yeah. Like you don't get to like that's that's one level of organization higher than than your authority. I thought that was really that that was really cool. Yeah, I, I do love that scene, and I I was laughing out loud during the the Offerman scenes. Oh, mm-hmm. so good because it's like you know he's just pitching these fifty dollar words and accusing <laughs> drunkenly accusing Lou of like get out of my way, tool of state. Yeah. And so that's the thing: the way they unfold him, like his. This is his life's calling, right? Like yeah. this is the thing that he he's was been put waiting on this planet for. He's to been do. in Laverne, and the worst he's had to do is bring somebody out of the drunk tank. And I'm not saying that from like a cosmic perspective. I'm saying that from Carl's perspective. Yes. right? I was born to do this. Yes. And, and now, the way they unveil just how comically drunk and silly he is in this scene is perfect. No, it's it's and the fact that he like tries to barricade the door from the wrong way. Um, and he's still, you know, brave enough to go out and face the guns. Yes. Uh, it's the perfect amount. Like, you know, a lot of people analogize him to Walter from, uh, the big Lebowski, which fair enough. It's clearly a nod to that kind of archetype of a character, but he's fundamentally a bit more serious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or like I take him more serious than I do, than I do Walter. And, and I think that's great. I think it's something that kind of Nick Offerman kind of brings like a punk rock Abraham Lincoln. Like I, I, I didn't understand the beard. And okay. then I remember like, you know, Lincoln's early career as a lawyer and a barrister. And, and I can imagine mm. like, you know, the, the Abraham Lincoln vampire slayer version of him being this kind of lawyer, uh-huh. like fire breathing tool of the state and all that stuff. I, 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 I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was great. I and loved it. The funniest line is when he says, I'm going to go out and bring back the sledgehammer of justice and be prepared to lay <laughs> Joseph waste that these four. I actually Googled the phrase Joseph waste to try to figure out what the what fuck the that meant. That? As far as I can can tell, he it was made up. Oh, there's no reference to Joseph waste that doesn't involve like sanitation services and trash cans made by company. I I. Did you do like Joseph Sledgehammer yes. or no? No, it's, I, I did Joseph. Is there a notable with Joseph with a sledgehammer it. somewhere? No, there's there's Not this company called of. Joseph Joseph that makes an intelligent waste basket, but that they're that clearly no, they're no, not no, 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 no. That's that, that's clearly not what they're going for. So no. I, I don't know. I would. Uh, I kind of think maybe he just he pulled an Aaron and slurred a couple words together that don't belong. I could totally see that. Uh, he seems like the character that would do that, frankly, in that state. Yeah, and I like also this the routine where he's trying to account for the fact that there's hidden mics and and cameras, uh. and like I I honestly I was like Ed's an idiot. Yep, <laughs> I, and I'm kind of an idiot, but I'm a little smarter than Ed, and I'm confused about what exactly I was supposed to do in this situation. And I started realizing that I'm not even sure if Carl has followed the logic of what the guy is supposed to say and do. 
it was a go no go with a with a nod or head shake system supposedly to fool guilty, cameras guilty, and right? or it's g or ng guilty not guilty so you already oh, you're already pitching okay. it you're already <laughs> okay. pitching it pretty see you're already i thought it was go high. no go given his yeah. his military background yeah I, I well maybe it was but that's the thing like you start with these acronyms and you start adding double triple negatives and you're right qualified the, a positive statements and, i don't feel so bad about not getting that because the point of the scene was confusion yes yes so good I, on them they they accomplished their mission yeah no it's 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 great it's great but yeah. I, I was the same as you thinking there's no way that ed is gonna get anything at this point yeah yeah he doesn't even understand that this lawyer has been brought in to to not defend him right like to right. get him to talk, right? Like that's the thing. Ed's so dumb. He's like, "Well, I'm I'm not saying anything, but when I get a lawyer and he tells me to say something, I'll I'll spill it all." It's like, well, you're you're basically admitting right there that there's something to spill. Yeah, they no, know, it's... and you're not spilling anything. I get it, but that's not what your lawyer is there for, right? And Ed doesn't understand that. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like you know the the ball move rule number one: don't talk to cops. There are probably exceptions. Like he, he go, but he goes. I mean, he goes hard on that. Yeah, no, well, but good, I mean, he, probably, he should just he shouldn't have said anything. Sure, because yeah. he's already said enough that it's incriminating his ass. But there's a certain point where, like, if you know that there's they're going to search this car and they're going to find blood, you know, it probably I I don't know. You a, still want to just talk say, to the lawyer? Get yeah. the lawyer because then the lawyer you can tell the lawyer everything, and the lawyer will tell will will communicate. And you know, there's a lot of legal protection there having a go between. Because if nothing else, uh, everything the lawyer says that you said is hearsay, so sure. he can gauge yeah. and work out a deal with complete deniability, and it's not legally binding at all, and get the best deal for you, and, and make whereas everything you say yeah. to try to do that deal with the cops is essentially giving them more and more leverage with everything you say. That said, if I was in a situation where the Kansas City Mafia and the Gerhards were coming after me and I had all this, I would probably start singing, like, fuck it. Well, they're, they're still protecting him, right? Like, both of them are being protected at this point. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Lou's not really wanting to see Ed rot in jail so much as he wants to avoid this all-out war. And he wants to avoid more bodies yeah. on the ground. He wants to get the real story, which would... I maybe set the Kansas City Mafia, set the Gerhards against the Casey Mafia instead of. And I can see Ed. a lawyer like Carl be like, you know, this guy Peggy shows shows up at this scene and she can see a body in the ground and and this guy's bleeding and he's got a gun and she accidentally hits him and she just freaks out. Like I could see them spinning this in such a way that maybe Peggy and Ed don't face very harsh consequences. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Now it's like I, I, I'm really curious where where do they because because like now Ed and his Peggy thing is beside the point. Seems like it. Like yeah, the whole legal battle like that's not the interesting part of the story. No, and kind of like all the only interesting thing part now is like are they going to be able to avoid being killed by these gangsters? Yeah, and if and Peggy I... goes to Sioux Falls, that's exciting. And if Ed's hunted down by Hansi in the snow covered woods, that's exciting. Yeah, especially if. Uh... Ed's following her out there. I think I think they work better as a couple. Uh, honestly, like individually, I think 
Ed is probably the more interesting of the two, just because he's dopey and gets himself into I don't crazy think, situations. I disagree. In fact, the only interesting is a bad word. He, uh, the more fun for me to watch. The the only thing that I am getting out of Ed is I want if if he dies before Peggy, which is a big if, I really want to see her reaction. Because I want to know whether she is a complete kind of okay. like sociopath or if she's just a person whose background and upbringing and area she occupies in life are so different from mine that I can't understand the way she thinks. I just think she's like a non-entity and pushing the plot forward mm. is the problem. Like, I, I think Ed, with his idea of the Sisyphean task being a good thing... uh is is the one who's got kind of the thrust here. Yeah. And I I, I don't know. Hmm. And he and he he fucks things up. So sure. he causes chaos. He's but an Peggy agent of is chaos. The, like I thought that was the interesting idea they flew they flung on the table here is that Peggy essentially started the war. And that's yeah. kind of like why you know you were finding it tedious. I thought it was very entertaining in this absurdist way that no one is acting everyone is acting on bad information. She, I mean, she doesn't start the war. Dodd starts the war. How so? Because they would have come to an agreement if it weren't for Dodd. But if Rye wasn't dead and missing, he would have never had that leverage to... That's what I'm saying. Like, Dodd started the war, but yeah, he used but... this false intel and, and to, to actually get, get it to go his way. Because I don't think he had enough power to completely gainsay his mother at this point. I guess is what I'm saying. No, but in my mind, Dodd was... Dodd was going to make that happen regardless. Hmm. It's it's you know it's a thing a convenient thing that he seized on that Rye was gone and, and he tells Hansi, hey, uh, lie for me here. But I, I don't know. Dodd's the impetus for the war in my mind. Okay, Peggy's a, a side character in that. But yeah, I mean she's interesting as as far as like how will things end up between her and Ed? Who is she? What does she really think? What did you think about the et outro? with the man of constant sorrow with the, they're I didn't not exactly like it. Out, I didn't like it. I liked the man this of constant felt like, sorrow, but the outtakes were weird. The outtakes I didn't like. I felt like this was an end of season sort of blooper reel thing. And, and they, that's the thing. They weren't literally outtakes, but it's more like we had so much fun with Nick Offerman and it made me sad. Cause I feel like this is the best evidence that we're done with him as a character. Because why else would you do this kind of swan song for his character in within that dopey smile, the fact that he got to do battle in the halls of justice if you had designs for him to do something greater later on? Yeah. So I thought it tipped their hand about that. And also, it's just like, I get it. Nick Offerman's awesome. Sure. I'm a big believer in, in the awesomeness of Nick Offerman, but it didn't feel like it fit this universe. No, didn't feel like it felt the style of Fargo. It felt like it's very Parks and Rec. This is the stinger after the episode when we roll the credits over and we get another ha-ha. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that felt like all it was is a ha-ha, which that's not Fargo to me. It's Because this is a great episode, but between that and the Jabberwocky, there was two kind of pretty big sour notes for me. Okay. I like Jabberwocky, yeah, but I'm, I'm with that, you. This... this is still a 9 for 10 episode. Yeah. But, you know, we got to get to the important thing, which is who won the week. Yeah, the, I guess the ending of that felt so weird to me because, like I said, it doesn't feel like Fargo, and the rest of this episode felt so much like Fargo. Hmm. Like just the violence, the See, we got an the email comedy. that I that, that was in, that that uh, we're going to read here in a bit that argues that none of this season feels like Fargo. Uh, I would almost argue that up until this point. Hmm. I, I I don't know why, but for really like some reason, this really felt like Fargo. It might have huh. been 
Kiss My Grits just took me off guard, and the the comedy mixed with the violence and the seriousness. I, I'm not sure. But at that, this that, point, I'm, I, I'm all I, in I saw The Man Who Wasn't There this weekend. Yeah, you did. And I want to see Miller's Crossing this weekend. I honestly don't know how this connects to Fargo, the series, except for there is a ambiguous plot involving aliens. Okay. Uh, where you kind of almost dismiss it as craziness, but there's a scene at the end um, that you think, oh, maybe. Like if, but there's also, I mean, the other thing I guess you could see in common is the idea that people that are not good at crime commit crime and it just spirals so mm. far outside of their control. And like yeah. a real criminal would, would, would just escalate things and get things back under control. But a person just kind of like turtles up and pretends like it's going to go away. And what does that, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what all happens as a result of that? I thought it was super interesting. And also the other thing I thought as, as a, an experiment, and this is a lot like Birdman, I thought there's like four or five points in the movie where the main character, Billy Bob Thornton, could have died. And the rest of the movie is playing out as his, like, death fantasy. <laughs> okay. There's like, and I, They I, don't ever tip their hand on that? They don't ever tip their... But that's kind of a, you know, I don't think the Coens would. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple... That's what made me think, like, the whole, at the end, the, the aliens is like, well, maybe that's not real. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I don't want yeah, to spoil anything, I mean, like, but that's that's there is there's a little kind of same will they won't they kind, of, but it's a little bit more explicit, explicit. I feel like that the aliens are a real deal in this in this this season. I don't know yeah. what point what what how they'll play out, but I actually think they'll do something with the plot. Although interestingly, is this the first episode that has no alien references at all? That was the thing. I I didn't notice any. There was some of the blue lights. That like when there was, you know, driving through late at night, there was like kind of the reflected blue lights, but they also could have just been the way the lens worked with the, Hmm. um, and they were suggesting kind of the blue lights of the alien ship, but they weren't literally the blue lights of the alien ship. But I'm not inclined to say that's a presence of an alien being like maybe someone will come up with freeze frame in the basement and there was some, you know, yeah, yeah. Astounding story stacked Ed had that had a bug eyed alien on it or something. I don't. (laughs) But yeah, I, I thought this was notable for being the first episode this season that had no tie into aliens at all. Yeah, I wonder where they're going with that. I wonder where they're going to go with Peggy and the Sioux Falls Massacre and uh, a lot of stuff. But I, I really like this episode a lot. Uh, shall we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. If you'd like to send us feedback, you do so at Fargo at BaldMove.com or get on the forums at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, Bob Chicago says, I'm having an issue with this season. One of the best and most unique things about Fargo, both in the movie and season one, is the setting. Here you have a bunch of people that are all Midwest or Minnesota nice. The worst thing the police have to deal with is how many snowplows to order. But then an evil takes place and totally shakes up the entire town. This is in contrast, uh, this dark contrast is the main basis for both the drama and the comedy of Fargo that makes it so good. Whereas in this season, it seems like all the characters have either grown up in a crime family or saw enough horrible things in Vietnam that the bad stuff they're seeing now is no big deal. I'm not saying I don't like this season. In fact, I think it's still one of the best things on television. However, I feel like it's been downgraded to another crime mafia story and isn't really doing justice to the Fargo uh, legacy, I guess. Any thoughts on this? I'd really love to get this resolved because I do love the show. What are your thoughts, Jim? I have a few. Uh, for the most part, I agree. I think, you know, you have characters who are exceptions to the things that he's talking about, like Ed and Peggy. 
Yeah. Obviously, they have no history with crime. Yeah. Uh, the people at the butcher shop, I guess, Noreen and his boss, whatever. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of the characters we're focused on are heavy into crime. And so when crime happens, that's nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, so like if I'm thinking about the movie Fargo, right, you've got the, obviously uh, Carl and whoever Peter Stormare is playing. I forget his character's name. Mm-hmm. And then you've kind of got Jerry's father-in-law, right, mm-hmm. who is while not necessarily involved in actual like bang bang kind of crime he's a bit like of a shoot gangster. your guns he has the gangster mentality the, certainly the, the real estate, he's a real estate magnate version of a gangster yeah 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 so like there are characters like a couple of different sides to that that are kind of battling it out but i feel like this season of fargo yeah has taken it kind of to the extreme with the crime family gangster stuff so i think here's my take on it like this is like the Deep Space Nine season, you know, is Deep Space Nine Star Trek. Sure. Because Roddenberry's Star Trek was all about boldly going to new frontiers and peaceful exploration. Deep Space Nine is about being an outpost along a militarized zone of a conflict, and they're essentially, you know, keeping this 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 zone active, and it's on this one station. And you mix the Bajorans and and stuff in, then... Right. That's a little more, but you're right. It's more military. For it's, sure. it's it's I mean, yeah, that's the whole point. This is a this is a uh this is a DMZ uh-huh. in space. And then there's outright breakout war and people like, you know, is that Star Trek? I think it is because it says what happens if you take this utopian society and you force it to be on a war footing? Sure. Uh you involve them in a war that maybe they're not they they're the and where both sides' hands aren't exactly clean and well, you know, what is that result? To me, it's interesting to take this Minnesota nice, this Lake Wobegon type culture and immerse it into stagflation and American malaise and the mm-hmm. hangover from the Vietnam War and and see what happens. Like, to, so to me, it's an experiment of what the Fargo spirit can take before it breaks. Hmm. Okay, so, And that's just as interesting as just taking the people that are like when a person draws a gun on them, their first their first thought is confusion. Like, why is this happening? We were having a perfectly pleasant conversation, and now there's a knife coming out. It uh, is different. I think that's the point he's getting at. But, right. But, but I I also see what you're saying about you know the comparison to DS9. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know that it has the exact same tone as the movie or the first season, but I don't. I don't know that that doesn't make it Fargo to me. It feels like it's part of the universe, and at good reflection of how this universe would look at this point in time, like where yeah. this is really these, you know, ideas of Americana are being challenged. Uh, anyway, so that's our, that's our thoughts. Uh, Quab S uh, has a dispute of our understanding of how things went down in, uh, I think it was the last episode, maybe the episode before, said Floyd doesn't quote unquote go to war based on the flimsy lie told by Dodd and Hansi about the butcher of Laverne. Remember, not only had she made the decision to go to war at the end of the previous episode, that the conversation in the kitchen with Hansi, Dodd, and Bear is after the first battle had already taken place. Remember, Dodd had taken a bite of the apple and said words to the effect that there's going to come back at us hard. So, my point being that the reason for that lie from Dodd, Hansi only follows Dodd's lead after all, is an attempt to emotionally manipulate Floyd by Dodd, not only confirming the decision to go to war, but also sow seeds of self-doubt about her ability to lead this family. Hence, that's the feminine side comment that he added. Hmm. I guess maybe I was confused by the way they filmed this, but I took it to where they were showing the causes and effects of things out of order. 
Like yeah, I'm not her, certain. Her pinning Hanzi down on who killed uh, Rye was the decision to allow Dot off the hook to go after Joe Bulow and them. But the way they were choosing to tell that story where they're all intercut together made it seem like that cause came after the effect. Okay. So. Yeah, I'm not certain. I don't remember exactly that string of events, but. Um, he also says along these lines, I think you both should consider Dodd a little smarter than you're giving him credit for. My reasoning is thus. From the point of the episode one where Kansas City made the offer threat. Uh, what Dodd wanted, war, and what has happened, war, and what role he has played, he's undercut the initial negotiation completely by assaulting those two KC goons in the donut shop before the sit-down could even happen. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he's a brilliant. In Godfather parlance, I describe him as 80% Sonny, 10% Fredo, and 10% Michael Corleone, that last 10% being the guy who undercut the negotiation with preemptive violence. And though it was a clumsy lie, I looked to press the rye and butcher of Laverne thing after the fact when it wasn't necessary to start the war that had already started. What do you think of this that that Dodd's smart and we give him credit for because he's able to manip- manipulate his mother and, you know, preemptively screw the pooch on the piece? Like, I, don't, what, I don't know. I mean, what what is it when a dumb person goes about what they want, what what they stupidly want in a clever fashion? That's the thing. Like, I, I don't feel like he's making good decisions on the larger picture. Right. Like, do you want war? Is that what you really want at this yes. point? Well, okay, I guess. That's why I call you dumb. And then when you go and you get war in a fairly clever way, <laughs> yeah, it's confusing right. a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know how to categorize him. I, I view him as kind of dumb. Obviously, Hank views him as incredibly dumb. Right. But that's just because he has contempt for criminals, probably. Right. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's a little confusing. I mean, I I used to describe my dog. So okay, compare him to Bear, right? Uh huh. Like that's that's the contrast you need to keep in mind. Right. It's where like Bear is actively shown to be a smart guy. Dot is not. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like it's kind of interesting because like with this Paris attack, you know, now we're like three, four days down the line, uh, and everybody is comfortable politicizing it, and yeah. there's people are saying. We have to do this thing in referring to ref- re- uh, refugees and foreign policy. And there's other people look at that same event and saying, no, actually, we need to do this one thing. Okay. And I think, you know, we as humans have to look at the, the outcomes we're steering to and say, which one do I want? So if I look at Dodd, he wants to go to war with this Kansas City. When I look at Bear, he wants to put the person that's the smartest person in charge support their decision, support the idea that, you know, you can't make money in wartime mm-hmm. and people are going to die. So if we can avoid it, like, you know, in the long run, we might actually have more money, more manpower and more power power if we play along with this game than if we just instantly go to war. I feel like that's the smarter play. So even if Bear and his mom go about the tactics not as clever as Dodd, I still feel like that they're baseline smarter than Dodd. Yeah, I guess, so maybe, certainly Dodd is more selfish. I know yeah. I can say that for a fact. Yeah. He's pursuing his own goals at the expense of whatever would come of peace, whatever might be in Floyd's head. He, he doesn't care about that. Okay. So, in, in my mind, his selfishness is clouding his judgment and making him dumb, and I don't know if he's necessarily a dumb person or not. Um... 
Quab continues uh, talking, turning his attention this time to Peggy. Until this episode, I was on board with Peggy being a Lester Nygaard type, selfish, self-serving, all those negatives. But she's turned a corner a bit for me. There's the obvious thing of her selling the car for the cash so that Ed could buy the butcher shop. Uh, but before that is when she was making a case for why they had to get out of town. She said words to the effect of, if we screwed, no, if I screwed this up from the beginning... Her taking even a little bit of ownership of the screw-up, hitting Ryan, driving him home on the hood of her car, separates her from the Lester Nygaard or Jerry Lundegaard type of character who, no matter what they have done, don't see it as their fault, and they still see themselves as the victims of others or of circumstances. Maybe it's a small point, but I think that puts her in a different category, and she can't simply be lumped in as an allegory or throwback to those previous characters. Fair yeah, point. I like that. I mean, because sure. what defines Lester and Jerry is the... Uh, inability to take responsibility for their actions like all they see is their intentions and their goal yeah and anything that deviates from that is not because they didn't think the matter through it's because you know like you know what anybody would have done the same thing or how could i've been well of course you can be blamed by actions that you put you know in 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 the play i wonder if there's more of a comparison to dodd there (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Uh, i don't know uh but that's yeah that's a good point uh, Chuck H is of the opinion that Betsy clearly knows she's going to die from telling Lou that he'll have to take care of Molly after she's gone and her uncertainty about the trial drugs. I think that she could end up doing something extreme and maybe even be the cause of the Sioux Falls massacre. Hmm. So he speculates that Hank is going to be killed. And in a fit of anger, she's going to plan her revenge, like in a, almost a Walter White way. She's got cancer. What's the downside? He continues with, because uh, there's a couple of things that might be spoilery. I've avoided I've avoided next week's on and this season on and even reading interviews because I've liked mm. the show so much, I, I kind of want to preserve the surprise. But he says, with her life close to being over and being such a smart detective wife, she could plan revenge against the Gerhards and maybe even blame Ed and Peggy for Hank's death. Again, Hank's death is not a spoiler. It's, a, it's He's speculating. I'm convinced of that or I wouldn't even read the email. Sure. Uh, after Lou telling uh, Reagan that he thinks an evil has crept into his wife, what if Betsy doing something extremely violent out of character for her is the what instead of who that caused the Sioux Falls massacre? The evil of the world that is inside her caused her to massacre people in Sioux Falls, whereas Ed and Peggy uh, are also headed there, I'm sure. How crazy would it be if Lou had to stop Betsy or arrest her for the crimes she just committed? Then instead of telling Molly that she had uh, killed or locked up her mother, he tells her the aliens took her away and she's somewhere... Wow! And she's somewhere safe somewhere else. All right, that, that took a this turn whole at the thing, end. This whole thing sounds like a crackpot theory. I mean, he he said it himself, this is out of character for Betsy. I She's not going to do anything like that. I, I, I don't care I if her whole family's massacred. We know, we know none of her other family can be killed. It right. would only be Hank, so... There's no way. I think it's just, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that this is a. a, a but I like a your crackpot crack theory. theory. <laughs> but no, I, it's I fun. mean there isn't. There is some things to hang it on. The fact that you know, in popular culture, we got the fact that like cancer gives you a free card to be a gangster. Sure, sure. Thank you, you Breaking Bad. You got you know if 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 Hank is dead and maybe Lou's wounded, she's she's got the motive, mm-hmm. and she's smart and she's she's tough, so she's got the means. And if, uh, you know, Hank is saying that the evil of the world's infecting his wife, then maybe she does turn into this unstoppable killing force. That said, <laughs> it seems unlikely. I would do a big eye roll if that happened. Well, I... A huge eye roll. Okay. Joel H. <laughs> said, uh, okay, we got the, we, we've got a crossover storm 
coming across NATO, coming to our mailbag. It starts with Joel. And these things came within 15 minutes apart. It was incredible. Okay. Joel H. says, I want to get some Walking Dead in my Fargo. Simple question. Who wins in a Hunger Games type of battle? Hansi Dent or Daryl Dixon? Oh, shit. Like, it's hard with six seasons of Daryl versus one of Hansi. Like, I would love to see some things that Hansi did in Vietnam because I know Daryl Dixon is capable of destroying a battle tank. Yeah. Single-handedly. Yep. That's pretty badass. Man, that's that's a tough question. All I've seen Hansi do is wring a rabbit's neck and fail to intimidate an idiot at a garage with a straight razor. So Hansi has the tactics, I think. Like, Daryl's a badass, but Hansi, like, he sneaks in the back door. They're both tra- He's creeping around. They're both trackers. They're both trackers. Yep. Uh, I feel like ma- maybe Hansi gets the drop on Daryl, because he's done it so many times on other characters. Right? What's like, that that's getting? how he sneaks up on... Uh, I, I mean, the stuff where he's, like, killing Joe Bulo and all the Kitchen Brothers. Like, he yeah. snuck up on those dudes. The other thing is, Hansi is pitiless So for, from what we've seen so far. It's true. Like, he has and got Daryl no, is self-admittedly dumb. What, whatever human emotion he has besides loyalty to Dodd seems to be boiled away by life on the reservation and then life out of country. Whereas yeah. Daryl has a pretty wounded streak that can be manipulated and abused. So... I don't know if Hanzi is capable of manipulating him emotionally, though, right? Because like, you need emotions to be able to do yeah, it. Yeah, we've never seen him display any kind of emotional strategy. Yeah, and this is a Hunger Games scenario, so it's not like Daryl has his whole crew that he has to protect or anything like that versus Hanzi's yeah. loan. It's, I don't know, because, again, yeah, he's more of the Terminator, but Daryl Dixon's destroyed a tank. So yeah. So yeah. I'd probably lean towards Daryl, but... Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, I doubt I get more than a season of Hanzi. So, all right, I'm taking Hanzi in that battle. All right, crossover the second. Oh boy! And again, these emails came like 15 minutes apart. It's incredible. Jenkins B, what would you make of a law firm partnership between Saul Goodman and Carl Weathers? <laughs> they, they're oil and water, right? Because they're both blowhard, yeah. uh, but they see the justice system fundamentally different. You're right. You're this right. the the law to Carl is, is is he's kind of got more in common with with Saul's brother, mm-hmm. where it's this shining beacon on the hill that separates us from from animals. Whereas Saul sees it as a way to, sure you can help some people out and that feels good at the end of the day, but mostly line your pockets. Yeah, yeah, right. he wants money and status, right? Like yes. that's what Saul claims, yes, or, or craves rather. Yeah, and, and I'm I, with I you. feel like Saul's more craven than Carl. It would be so. I feel like, isn't there a show with, like, an oil and water lawyer duo? I, I know I'm there sure are, like, history 50 of shows, cop there's shows. been at least one, yeah. Yeah, there are a thousand there's Boston like Eagle that. was kind of like that. You had the, okay. the, the cynical manipulators versus the, you know... Yeah, I think was, one uh, literally was an, ex, was an ex-Marine, like, law and order type. Um, the other thing I thought would be, it was that... Um, like Mike threatens Saul to get at some information and Saul flips over mm-hmm. immediately. I feel like Carl takes a bullet in that situation. Maybe so. Or maybe gives Mike a fight that he remembers. So there's the other the difference between the two. All right. He's certainly more courageous, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, could we get Nick Arferman as a guest spot uh in season 2? Why not? That would be I think that would be awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, Jeremy J says, uh, the, uh, in the Augies Minnesota Public Radio podcast on Fargo, the host mentioned in an interview with Kristen Dunst where she reveals that a scene was written but never filmed where Peggy is saying goodbye to your fiancé as he heads off to Nam. The script divulges if anything happens to the fiancé during the tour, his friend, friend Ed will watch out for her. Mm-hmm. How does that influence your the way you see Peggy? Well, it doesn't exactly. It's not in the show. Yeah. But but if it were going to, uh, I would see it as a little more tragic. Maybe like maybe the guy she's with, you know, the she's he's the one that she wanted to be with and thought yeah. she was going to be with, and then she got kind of stuck with Ed. And there's this like grieving in thing. It's kind of way. very deer hunter, almost manipulative of Ed to nah, kind of swoop well, in. Or but, I mean, he was his buddy's his buddy's dying wish, and maybe it was supposed to be altruistic. But then, you know, Robert De Niro both, comes back and takes bo- his girl. <laughs> they're both lonely and uh, things go a little too far. And then Ed falls for her and she feels bad for leading him on. And I can see how there's these two people. I mean, look how they argue. My God. it's yeah. Again, it's just so passive aggressive that I can see so many misunderstandings here. And, and Ed is would clearly fall for a type that is like Peggy. And, and there'd be some maybe resentment on Peggy's part. But it's essentially fan fiction because it's it's the same way of like you know, yeah. uh, I, I can't. At one point in the Star Wars draft, Han Solo and Obi Wan Kenobi are the same people. Uh-huh. They were the, the exact same character fused into one person. What does that tell us about Han Solo or Obi Wan? Nothing. It tells us that George Lucas ultimately thought this was a stupid idea, and, and I it think was. That makes no sense. And I think there's a lot of reasons why because I feel like that maybe tilts the thumb too far into sympathy for Ed and Peggy's situation. Okay. That's like this faded star-crossed type of lover situation. And by removing Mm -hmm. that backstory, now they're more blank slates that he can tell the story on. So I feel like Noah's a pretty sharp cat and that if he omitted something (laughs) and it didn't even get filmed, it wasn't like it filmed and then it was cut for time. It just didn't get filmed. He just changed his mind. So I don't think we can take anything from Peggy's character based on that. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that was Jeremy J. I might have said that was from Jake from Tallahassee because my notes were, were a bit. I'm 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 feeling under the weather. I was a little bit sloppy this morning. Uh, Jake from Tallahassee said the Gerhards just got Cohen'd. What I mean is they built up, been built up as badasses, but they were hilariously taken down by a dim butcher and his touched wife. Four dead bodies so far, and Peggy has almost single-handedly taken down the family. Yeah, Rye and Dodd. Think about that for a second. There's a, this is a classic Cohen trope. The bad guys are comically inept. But how do you guys feel about it? Do you wish the Gerhards were more of an actual threat? And what does it say about the real heavy hitters behind the Sioux Fall Massacre? Here's the thing. I still feel like the Gerhards are a threat. <laughs> Whether Peggy has taken them out or not. And then at least they got the three Dons been... and polyester suits ready to cut noses off sure. faces. But even the brothers, like even Dodd, I think, is a threat in the right sure. circumstance. He was out of his element. He and... underestimated Peggy the same way yep. he potentially underestimates his daughter and mother. He's kind of a victim of circumstance in that in that scenario. He and can't I... take a skirt seriously. But when he rolls up on Hank, I think he's very much a threat. Yeah. I think when oh, he's yeah. staring down <laughs> Lou at the estate, he's... Definitely sure. a threat. Yeah. Like yeah, I, he's <laughs> capable of shocking physical violence, but he's also capable of overestimating underestimating certain yeah. types of people. And, and sometimes you know, things just get the better of you. What are you gonna do? Yeah, your own prejudices and biases uh, bite you in the ass. Yeah. So I think it's ironic, yes, but I'm I'm liking what they're doing with it. Yep. It does feel very Cohen y. 
Joe from Philly said, I love how we saw more fire from Lou in this episode, even before Bear and the gang showed up, when he was talking to his wife nicely one minute and then yelling at Ed and Noreen to stop talking and telling yeah. Ed to shut up. Lou wasn't taking any more bullshit, and it'll be interesting to see what his role in Sioux Falls is and how he handles whatever it is that happens. Here's a guy that's surrounded by basically no protection and backup, ain't coming for an hour, and he's cool as a cucumber. Of course he was saved by the eloquence of the great Carl Weathers. P.S. Why hasn't anyone made Apollo Creed jokes? Rocky was in 1976. I'm just saying. Yeah. I absolutely love Nick Offerman. Everyone nailed their performance this episode, including Ted Danson, giving his sheriff character a little more edge. Do you, why, why isn't anyone making cracks at Carl Weathers' expense? Well, so if you say, okay, you're already, you're already deep into the relationship of these characters, right? That's all kind of out of the way. Are you, yeah, how Sonny, long are Sonny you going to make up? another Carl Weathers joke? <laughs> He's heard them all before, man. Yeah. Now with Bear, maybe that's that's valid, right? Yeah. Like Bear should maybe say something. But in that but, circumstance, like anything more than like like the the guy from Rocky would be yeah. eye rolling. Sure. So I feel like they're probably going the better part of valor and discretion with this whole thing. Yeah. It's a it's a funny joke that we are all in on, mm-hmm. um, but they don't need to highlight it. Yeah, and I can't say enough about Lou. You're right that he is showing, you know, not a different side of him. I mean, he shows his side out at the Gerhards, but now everything is serious, and he's telling people, "Look, this is serious. Stop fucking around." Especially yeah. like even Carl in inside the police station. He's like, "I need you to sit in that corner and shut up." Yeah. Like you got to stop fooling around. I have like a mild look of a, a wounded, like niceness on Ed's face when he told him to shut up and stop talking to Noreen. Uh-huh. Like, well, 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 she's but she's a nice lady, and you know, she's and yeah, because like, he doesn't understand the scenario. Yeah, like Lou, he doesn't get it. No, and Lou totally gets it. Uh, Jr. writes in and says, "So what more does Fargo have to do to be elevated from half-ass cast to full-ass cast?" Like you, Aaron, I'm hate-watching American Horror Story with my wife. But how does that show get a scene-by-scene breakdown and Fargo gets a loose fly-by themes and moments? Uh, there's no way... Uh, well, um, oh yeah, there's also no way that Ed Blomquist and Hank Larson are playing on the same level as Jack Bauer and President Grandpa. Consider this my vote for full scene-by-scene recaps of Fargo moving forward. I, I There's a thread in the forums going right now about, about this. Okay. Which I, I recently responded to. People are getting blinded by the name. Yes. Is the problem. We came up with the half ass cast as a way to, when we had too much stuff to cover, to still give a little bit of coverage to a show that we like in a more streamlined fashion. But what it's turned into mm-hmm. is a much more philosophical and nuanced discuss about the show itself in a way yep. that I think is mostly deeper than when we do, and certainly more interesting for me to do, and more work. Also, that's, that's the exact comment I made on the forums. It's, it's actually harder to do the quote unquote half ass cast than it is to do the full scene by scene recap. Yeah, when we go into a, a half ass cast, we have thought deeply about the questions. Yes. Whereas, in a, what I feel like a full recap has us doing is saying, wait until the end of the recap, really, to talk about any of this stuff because we're not there yet. Uh huh. And that like that always breaks up the flow of the conversation. You can't really you can't use evidence from later on in yeah. the episode to support your opinions on a particular scene. They just it turns into a mess. Yeah. And like True Detective was kind of an experiment in getting a recap in there and giving you the gist of the plot while also having these nonlinear philosophical discussions, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And I think so far, like for me, the half-ass cast is always more in depth. I've thought heavily about the questions that I'm going to be asking because I don't have a, f- a format to lean on, yeah. like an outline. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the one weakness it does have is I feel like it hurts the re-listenability or the uh, post hoc listenability of the podcast because I feel like the recap is you can you know if, if you've seen the episode and it was a year ago and you're like hey I want to check out the Walking Dead and they're talking about this episode. The recap allows you to relive the episode in a way yeah. that you might be more lost about us just talking about the themes and concepts and events in a nonlinear fashion. Um, so, yeah. And it's like not like American Horror. The reason I'm doing that as a full recap is because this Cecily's running a show. And, again, it's way easier to do things scene by scene sure. than yeah. it is to do the quote-unquote half-ass recap. So, uh, yeah. yeah we Plus, might... it's a less I, – I feel like the other thing is like – the less serious the show is, the more it's suited for the scene-by-scene recap because then we can squeeze uh-huh. out all the jokes and all the absurdities and all that, whereas these half-ass casts aren't as funny, but I feel like they're deeper. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement there. And to the point where it's like, it's actually my preferred way to cover a show. Me too. Like, you'll notice the shows that I love the most, we tend to do the half-ass cast on, which if it was, I thought, if I genuinely thought it was a superior format... And I used to like that's one of the things we used to butt heads about. Yeah. Um, but I've come around to your way of thinking. I, I think this is the more fun, more natural, more in-depth way to cover it. And if you look at it, we end up talking for like an hour on these plot points and a half. Can you cast. fucking imagine if we also had thirty minutes of just scene dis- descriptions? And that, and, that's my point, right? Yeah. Like you actually get less interesting, relevant conversation during a full recap because if you look at the time, they're about the same. Yeah. If you if you discount feedback. Yeah. So, like, I think it's a more thorough cast, honestly. And the half-ass cast is a misnomer, and people hear it, and they go, well, they're not putting as much effort into it. No. There's, there's only half an ass. We yeah. want the full ass. Yeah, well, yeah, well we're, that's what we're here for. Right. To we, be full asses. Yes. <laughs> well, we, you have two for the price of one. It's uh, double ass, honestly. And I think we probably will do some experimentation in the future, maybe with... I mean, I've got ideas on like doing a recap where we just make the jokes and then moving on to the more philosophical, interesting conversation afterward. I don't know. Mm. We, like that's what I meant when we said true detective find is an a experiment. way to find a way to do the best because again, th- that's the one, and it's an important thing. Like the long tail of podcasts is no joke. Yeah, like you yeah. know, we do mad business on old podcasts. Why people are you know not covering? They don't like the shows we're covering now. So they're going back in archive and catching up on stuff that they might have missed out. Or, you know, they've never heard of this show and they want to give it a try. Like, that's really big business. And I feel like that the half-assed podcasts don't serve that community very well. You're right. So we do, we're, so not, we're not done tinkering. Definitely. But don't feel like you're getting shortchanged. My, that's my opinion. Mike B., uh, Carl talking about the plumbers in the American Legion refers to the team working for the committee to re-elect the president, colloquially known as Creep. That burglarized the Watergate Hotel headquarters, the Democrat Party headquarters. Uh, that's a lot of headquarters okay. going on. And Sonny has no idea what he's talking about. No. <laughs> it was led by E. Howard uh, Hunt and G. Gordon Lib- Libby. Apparently, in order to be involved in Watergate scandal, your first name had to be an initial. <laughs> Finally, was there a UFO reference this week? I didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, he moves on, Mike does. Something's been bugging me all season. This notion that the Gerhardt family has built this huge, legendary murderous crime business in Fargo, North Dakota. They talked about making collections and envelopes being light, which implies gambling. They also said that they were 
uh, in trucking, but that is usually found near a large port where the mob controls unions that they steal and fins to cargo. How many gamblers or hijackings exist in Fargo, and how can you intimidate or murder until there are none left? I feel like that that's the thing. Like, what the Fargo mafia is different. Like, there's still backroom gambling parlors that are ran. There's still prostitutes. There's still drugs. There's still a shit ton of shipping in the Midwest with with trains and semi-trucks. Yeah, kind of a hub, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like Indianapolis, crossroads of fucking America. Exactly. Um, so there's a lot of that to dip your beak into. And then we talk about zoning and, and building and construction and like being able to grease the wheels to keep the union operation going or you know throwing monkey wrenches to get protection money. There's a lot of graft to be done in the Midwest. A lot of pork. There is to support one family. Think I mean, about like what what a mafia could do if they had a contract to repave an interstate going through sure. fucking North Dakota. And if they do a sufficiently shitty job, they probably get to do it again three years from now. Dip and, into and, the pork and, barrel. And, and they get the politicians to look the other way so no one asks the question, why the fuck are we spending twice as much to get a road half as good? Oh, that's such yeah. shooting fish in a barrel, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not the New York Mafia, sure. Plus, when you, and, and we know they're involved in some kind of construction or road work because they buried a dude under pavement. Like, and that's yeah. the other thing. We yeah. need to get rid of bodies. Great where to, great place to stash them is underneath the internet state highway system. Sure. You Until take someone six foot underneath it up. A, 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 a four lane highway, they're never going to be found. Ever. Yeah, probably. Like, you know, yeah, never. It would take major construction, like moving the road or. But even like, then, like if you're going to resurface the road, you're not going to dig down six feet. No, that's what I mean. Like moving the road, like mm. tearing that one out, and yeah, I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't very deep. It didn't seem. Like, no, no, that was a. That, I think that was a parking lot. But yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that like there's a lot of a lot of things you can get your 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 beak wet when you got the muscle and the the will and the uh, the political machine behind you. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like they have a huge operation by by like New York crime family right. standards. Yeah. So like. You know, it's, it's scaled modern. appropriately to cost the of living. It's where the Midwest has got it, man. You can That's be a true. low rent, low rent gangster and be living high off the proverbial hog. They're cooking their own meals. The, sure, the bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a you know farm to table operation. Mm-hmm. Liz G wants to know how injured is Dodd? Is any long lasting injury after being blasted with a cattle, uh, cattle prod twice? I don't think so. maybe, but probably so, now, not. You and I grew up with the Burns boys. Sure. Did you get hit with the cattle prod? No. I got hit with the cattle prod. But I, I figured a cattle prod might not do as much damage as they're depicting here. Yeah, so You I, can take a cattle prod. I've taken a cattle prod. It's not fun, but it's it's kind of like I would say on the paintball or getting hit with a BB. It's like a yeah. deterrent for sure, but not something that's going to stop a determined attacker. Now, on this show... Where it causes your 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 skin to smoke and your clothes to kind of catch on fire. Yeah, it's a little bit more, but still. I got the impression that maybe this was a modified cattle prod. But even then, it's not going to do fatal or even probably debilitating damage. It has a potential, I guess, to stop your heart or something. If you did it right, yeah, yeah. But but Dodd's a healthy, strapping man. I feel yeah. like that he's going. If anything, maybe they'll give him a little twitch as a but as a comic thing, not as a debilitating thing. Yeah. But 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 who knows. Uh, and then she also wants to, I think we addressed about what our theories were with Peggy and Ed, uh, you know, whether Peggy drove off and whether Ed will find her in her house. I think we discussed that otherwise. Yeah. Uh, else, elsewhile on, on Fargo, 
Uh, I think that's that's it. Firegoatballmove.com oh, oh. and okay. forums.ballmove.com if you'd like to dis- join a discussion or send some feedback into the podcast. That's it for this week. All right, cool. We'll be back uh, next Wednesday with another one. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. <laughs>